chapter 12, verse 1. John. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. They made a supper for Jesus, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Wow, what an expression, church. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, he said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Reach your hands and pray it for me in this direction. Stretch your hands in this direction. Let's do a prayer for each other in a few seconds. In the name of Jesus. Release your anointing to share and to receive. Come on, pray for me. God, keep me from any carnal kind of human things that I would do that would exploit or hurt. I, I rebuke that. But I pray you'd give me boldness, compassion, and courage. And all of us, let the Word of God meet us where we need it, God. Let us not resist, but receive and then be changed. Everyone here, regardless of the depth of our spirituality, we need you. And your Word is life. For that we're grateful. Everybody say amen. Amen. And thank you for being seated. Let me move right into the Word. Keep your Bibles open to this reference, would you please? Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, on the last Sunday of this month, which is Commitment Sunday and First Fruit Sunday, I have some wishes that I hope would happen on that Sunday as we initiate our First Fruits offerings and our commitments to the work of the Lord. It would be great, in my opinion... If the offering that day was an emotional offering, because people often give more when they are moved, not just by their head, but in their hearts for the things of God. And when we are properly emotionally stirred, we give generously. So, I'm praying that maybe that will happen. That it will happen. In, in praying for this offering and rise up and build and where we're going, I think it would be nice if... This offering was a sufficient offering. I'm praying that in three years we could raise one and a half to two million dollars. A sufficient offering would mean that we would be able to raise as much money as we can. So we would have to borrow a little money and we can continue to do the work of the Lord. I'm also praying, one of my prayers is that it would be an overwhelming offering. And I get that thought because when Moses took up the offering to build the tabernacle of the Lord in the Old Testament, and he asked all the people whose hearts were stirred and had a willing heart to bring an offering, the Bible said they brought so much offering that it was overwhelming until the builders came to Moses and said, Stop the people from giving. We have all the materials, all the gold, all the silver, all the linen, all the fabric, everything we need for the temple of God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If I could, however, have just one kind of offering on March 27th, my desire is to have 
a God-honoring offering. I say that because if each person who is here today and others who will join us just gives an offering that would honor God, just honor Him, then it would accomplish all that we need to accomplish and then some. So since it is my greatest desire that we have a God-honoring offering in the midst of all kinds of other offerings, I thought it would be appropriate to share with you what is involved in a God-honoring offering. And that is what we find in our text in John 12. Now, I might observe with you in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, this account is also recorded by these other writers. Let me give you a little context. There you are, Brother Curtis, in the corner. Wave at the people, Brother Curtis. This is the man that told me to take a shoebox on the plane and put dirt in it. He also told me the other day when I saw him, he said, a certain man went to the doctor and he told the doctor, he's hurting right here. And to tell the doctor, I'm hurting right here. And he told the doctor, I'm hurting right here. What do you think is wrong, doctor? And he said, the doctor said, you have a broke finger. <laughs> yeah, okay. See, Brother Curtis, they thought the same thing about your joke. Uh, Sammy, are you praying, brother? Jesus is a few days before his crucifixion in this story. He is in a little village known as Bethany. He is the guest in a home where a meal has been prepared in his honor. And among the guests is this man, Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead just a few days before. Conversation began. And maybe those who observed Lazarus and Jesus were were questioning Lazarus and saying, Hey, tell us how it feels to have been dead for four days and come back to life. Maybe those around the table reclining with Jesus, maybe they were asking Jesus, How did you do that? Where do you get this power? Conversation at this dinner. In the midst of the conversation, the Bible says Mary enters the room and brings to Jesus a God-honoring offering. She kneels at the feet of Jesus. She breaks an alabaster box, a beautifully decorated, expensive box that has a very aromatic and expensive ointment or perfume known as spikenard. She pours it on the head of Jesus And she pours it on his feet. And the oil and the fragrance of this spikenard flows down his face, on his beard, through on his chest, and throughout his body. And the Bible says she then wipes his feet with her hair. The fragrance of the perfume fills the whole room. But as the fragrance fills the whole room, tension begins to fill the room. I know that because the first person to criticize her was Judas. But Jesus honored her. He received her gift. And Matthew, Mark, and John all record the story so that we might know what a God-honoring offering really is. I would, I would ask you for the moments we have together to listen very closely, if you will, 
And as we anticipate an offering on Commitment Sunday, March 27, I would ask you to examine yourself and I would examine myself to see that what we're planning to give, if it really is a God-honoring offering. There are four components I want to talk about, and the first begins with this. A God-honoring offering is precious to us. Can I get an amen by faith? How precious? In this story, when John writes about this story, he says that the offering that Mary brought to Jesus in the alabaster box of perfume was very costly. When Matthew writes about this same account, he says Mary's offering was precious to her because it was very precious or expensive. Then in the account that's our text, John's Gospel, John says about Mary's offering that it was very precious to her. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, an offering that honors God must first of all be something that is very dear and precious to us. God is not honored with token gifts. God is not honored when we just open our alabaster box, dip our two fingers in there, and put a little dab on Him. That's not honoring God. That's, that's not giving up anything precious. God is not honored with our leftovers. If we could have done better. Where God is honored is where we give to Him something that is precious and valuable in expression of our love for Him. Somebody else say amen. I remember reading in the Old Testament, that would be 1 Samuel chapter 24, when David was going through a period of judgment by God. David had disobeyed God. And God sent a plague on the children of Israel, and the plague was killing thousands of people. And David said, oh my God, the people are suffering because I, their leader, have disobeyed. God, don't let them suffer because of me. And in his prayer to stop the plague, the prophet Gad, G-A-D, came to David. And said, God's word to you, David, in order to stop the plague, is for you to go to the threshing floor of Aroni, and for you to, at that threshing floor, build an altar, get some oxen, offer me a sacrifice, and repent. And when you do it, I will stop the plague of the people. The Bible said David took an entourage of people with him, went to the threshing floor of Aroni. When Aroni saw the king coming to his property, he was so honored, and the king told him why he came. And Aroni was so honored the king would come. He said, look, king, you can have my threshing floor. You can have the oxen for my livestock. You can have all the wood to build your altar. It won't cost you a dime. Go ahead and offer your offering to God. And you know what David said? He said, I will not offer burnt offering to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. He said, God's been good to me. He could have killed me for disobeying Him. Now He's going to stop this plague. I will buy the oxen. I will buy the threshing floor. I will buy the, all the wood that I need because God deserves my best. Something that is precious to me. Somebody ought to say amen. Mary brought an offering that was precious to her. I know that because the Bible said it was worth at least 300 denaries. Now, this term denarii wouldn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't exchange funds in denaries, we do in dollars. But we do have an understanding of how valuable it is. One denarii in the first century, the day of Jesus, one denarii was a day's pay. Think about what you make per day. 
That was one denarii. Mary brought to Jesus that day an offering that was worth the equivalent of one year's salary, and she poured it on Jesus. I would say it cost her something, wouldn't you? That was beyond what she was expected to do. Nobody said she had to do that. That was beyond what some of the onlookers thought was reasonable. Jesus deserves something, but you probably don't need to need all that, is what some people thought. But it was precious to her. I have found something here that the Holy Spirit showed me in my preparation for this lesson that I haven't seen before. And now I appreciate even more. Perhaps you will too. It's interesting to note that Mary's position in giving this offering was at the feet of Jesus. Mary is mentioned three times in the New Testament. This Mary. And every time Mary is mentioned in the New Testament, she is at the feet of Jesus. The first time she's mentioned is when Jesus visits their home of her sister and brother Lazarus. They prepare a meal for Jesus. Martha is in the kitchen preparing the meal. But Mary, the Bible says, sits at the feet of Jesus, which annoys her sister Martha. And Martha comes and says to Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to come and help me fix dinner? And Jesus said, Martha, what you're doing is a good thing. But Mary has chosen the best thing. To listen to my word. The second time Mary is mentioned in the scriptures is when she runs out to Jesus at the burial place of her brother. And out of the sorrow and agony of her heart, her brother is dead and entombed. She runs and falls at the feet of Jesus weeping for her loss. The third time Mary is mentioned in scripture is what you and I just read. When she brings an offering to him. And there she is at the feet of Jesus. What a wonderful place to be found, church, at Jesus' feet. I am convicted by this, and I'll be very honest with you. When's the last time you've been at the feet of Jesus instead of his hand? I am guilty of doing good things that I justify in my head as good. But neglecting the best thing, which is the feet of Jesus. I told my bishop recently that the larger this church gets, this is not a slam on you. This is not a slam on nobody here. This is me. This is an Alan thing. Not you. Okay? I could do better if I wasn't so micromanaging kind of leader. But I spend so much time now administrating and answering calls and doing this and other things, which are all good. And then when I come on Sunday mornings and I'm supposed to burn alive and on fire and full of the Holy Ghost, I find sometimes my tank is almost empty near the weekend when it should be filled, but I haven't spent time like I should at the feet of Jesus. You are the same way. You don't have to be a minister to have the need to have your tank full. Say amen. 
We are busy with a lot of good things. Nothing wrong with your kid playing soccer or baseball or softball or your child, your daughter is in gymnastics. Nothing wrong with you working a job and paying your bills and having a hobby and maybe going to a, a golfing outing once a week or sometimes that you can afford. Nothing wrong with some good things about taking care of your family. But if we do that at the neglect of the call of the Holy Ghost every day, every day we should take some time to open the Bible and read scriptures and take some time to pray and take some time to love God because that's when we are at the feet of Jesus. If the only time Jesus sees us and hears from us is when our marriage is messed up or we get caught in a crime or a sin or we need our money or we need a bailout, that's not the place where God desires for you to always meet Him. If you meet Him at His feet, your hands will be blessed. Somebody give Him some praise with me. Here's a question you may have pondered. I'm pondering. Why would Mary do what she did for Jesus? Why would she take one full year's salary that she might have been saving for her marriage? You know, back then they had dowry and marriage. And she was expected... When I... And my wife and I got married 32 years ago. Uh, this, this hope chess was a, still a popular thing with young ladies as they prepare for marriage. You know what I'm talking about? Hope chess. <laughs> Some of you ladies giving up hope. You ain't even got a, a hope purse. Don't give up. The hope chess the Valerie had would, would contain, it's, it's a place to start. You collect blankets. You collect uh, 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 gifts, items, uh, all kinds of stuff you hope to put in your house. You know, ornaments, nice things. And then when Valerie and I got married, by that time it's because of her prayer and expectation. She had already, when her mother and dad asked, what did you want for your birthday? She'd ask for things like furniture. So she had a bedroom suit. She had other kinds of stuff. But by the time that we got married, she was driving a brand new uh, Mustang, Ford Mustang. When we got married, I brought something to the marriage. What are you all laughing at? I ain't told you nothing. Here you are laughing. You know, you're laughing because you married that same kind of person like me. I still have it in the marriage. It is a fluorescent desk lamp. This long and this long. That I brought from college. We married in 1978. I had a 68 Plymouth Valiant. She had a brand new Mustang. You come in this church and you think, that little guy's short and loud. He ain't got a lot of sense. You, you got me wrong. I'm married out of my league. I got a lot of sense. Every once in a while when Valerie and I may have a little spat, a little kind of communication glitch. And I talk about I'm the man and I'm, this is my place. She will remind me that if I leave, the only thing I can carry with me is my desk lamp. But I'll say, Valerie, what about Prissy, our pet poodle, that I walked this morning at 625? Oh, God, I'm going to get carnal here. Male and female dogs are different. I don't know why female dogs have to walk over the whole neighborhood before they find their place to do their business. I said, but I walk Prissy. I feed Prissy. I take it to the vet. No, if you leave, you have to give child support for Prissy and take your desk lamp. I'm thinking about Mary every weekend, every paycheck, Pastor Jeff, she'd put a little bit more in that. 
And she bought this expensive perfume and thought, well, when come marriage time, I could sell it. And I will have something for her new home. You see, uh, what was Mary's motive for giving this to Jesus? It was her love for Jesus. Everybody say the word love. love. Mary was in the room where her brother was, whose name is Lazarus, who was dead a few days ago. It is just Jesus, after her brother was dead, embalmed, put in the tomb alongside the mountain. They used to bury people in caves and put a stone in front of it, like, like a burial place. Lazarus, her brother, had been dead for four days when Jesus came on the scene. His body had begun the decomposition process. He was starting to smell bad. And Mary and Martha ran to Jesus and said, You are late, Jesus. You're late. Uh, our brother is dead. And Jesus said, but, but I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Mary and Martha said, yeah, we know all that. At the last days, everybody's going to be resurrected. But right now, our brother's dead and you're late. And Jesus said, no, no, no. If you wait and see, you'll see the glory of God. Can I get an amen? And Jesus, by the command of his mouth, caused the stone to be removed. And by the command of his mouth and the power of his life, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out with his grave clothes. They unwind his grave clothes. And he was well and sound because Jesus is a Lord. Lord who keeps his word. Give him some praise. Now, let me tell you something. Mary thought, after Jesus had done all that for me, how can I not give him something precious? I love. And that's the motive I'm saying for you and I. Whatever we give to God, we give not because of obligation or because we have to. We give because God has already given so much to all of us. I'm trying to hurry. Where would you be this morning? You might have been under a bridge somewhere without Jesus Christ, homeless and hopeless. Where would you be if the devil could have his way with you? You could have been still trying to throw a trick of some sort to get some money so you could pay for the next high. Somebody help me here. If without Jesus you could be in jail, you could be sent off somewhere, you could already be dead. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I'm telling you this morning, because of all the that Jesus has done, is doing for us. He deserves our best. Mary, uh, I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. I have this vase, this vase or vase, depending if you're from America or you're from Great Britain. I have this vase. It has two-thirds full of coins. And when I received it three Sundays ago on Vision Sunday... When a man came to my house and gave it to me in the afternoon, it had bills inside of it. And the bills amounted to about $400 and the coins I don't know yet. And he said, the Lord told me about this vision, this rise up and build. He said, Pastor, I'm a tither and a giver and I'm going to continue to be that. But the Lord told me to start with this jar that I've been throwing all my change and my money and my bills I don't know whether this man was saving for a power tool or for a fishing rod or for some golf clubs or something he kept. Do you know to acquire this kind of change, you've got to be saving for some time? I know it because I do it every day just about. Every day when I took him in my house and I showed him where I keep my jar. I said, this, I know how you, this comes by. It takes a while. This is precious to you. The older my children got, I hid my jar. I, I tell you, it costs something for Jesus to die for us. 
And, and I'm saying maybe this is how the Holy Spirit will, will move on you. Something, maybe you could sell a piece of furniture and bring it to the work of the Lord. I've had people give me rings, ne- necklaces, watches, other things that meant something to them, but said, this is what I can do now. I, I'm not trying to bribe you. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says and I'm trying to tell you that somebody may sell an instrument you don't play anymore. You may sell a gun. You may something, but you're saying, God's done so much for me. I don't have much cash on hand, but I'll have me my own little personal yard sale. And I'll honor God. Here's another thought, please. A God-honoring offering is pleasant to others. When Mary broke the alabaster box, I, don't, I, I should have brought one. I don't have one. Let's imagine that this is an alabaster box. It's beautifully decorated. It's maybe made of marble or some sort of stone. And, and Mary comes in the presence of Jesus at this supper and she breaks the box or she whatever unscrews the top and pours it all on Jesus. The smell, the house, look at the screen, verse 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 3. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Wow. Everybody who smelled it enjoyed it because this offering was pleasant to everybody in the room. As more the, the atmosphere and, the, and the, the, the aroma filled the room, even the people up on the roof, they had flat roofs back then. Sometimes people would be up there too as part of the guests. The people up on the roof began to smell this aromatic perfume and they knew by the smell of it. This was no cheap stuff. And they, they, they thought to themselves, something has been offered up downstairs. Something has been broken. Something glorious. And they, it was pleasant to others. Everybody in the house was blessed. It's pleasant to us today, the story of Mary. Because Jesus said about Mary in Matthew 26 and 13. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be a memorial to her. And the, the, the offering that she gave will never be forgotten because of the heart with which she gave it. Now, let me say this to you. Pastor Roger Powell is the founding pastor of this church. He's sitting on my left. He and his wife Sharon here. And uh, they started this church 35 years ago. Over the years, we have built, people have given money, we have built, we have bought property, we are building now. And I say this to you, that everybody that gets saved, have gotten saved in this church, even though people have given money and they died and gone to heaven in the last 35 years, everybody that gets saved because of this ministry, they will get a blessing in heaven for, and I mean a blessing here, but reward in heaven, I should say, because they gave. Can I get an Amen. Let me tell you something. Everybody we minister to here or anywhere in the world, when you give your tithe, when you give the offerings that belong to God, every time you give, it's a pleasant aroma. It's a blessing. You're blessing a widow. You're blessing an orphan. You're blessing somebody who is homeless. You're blessing a ministry. You're blessing a Bible school or some kind of other place. Every time you give and this church ministers, the aroma, the fragrance is pleasant to others. And people are saying, thank God for South Metro Ministries. It's not just about us. Let me give you the third thought. A God-honoring offering is perplexing to some. Do you know not everybody gets excited about an offering? And do you know some people find it perplexing to give a God-honoring offering? They don't make sense to some people, this offering thing. 
And let me say this to you with kindness, but with truthfulness. A God-honoring offering always exposes the phoniness in some people who begin to murmur like Judas on that day. Judas said about Mary's offering. Matthew records Judas' words as this. He called it a great waste. He said, why was this waste of the ointment made? It could have been sold and given to the poor. Well, doesn't that sound spiritual? A phony being spiritual. If you're talking about a waste, Judas' whole life was a waste. You didn't hear me. When you look at what happens to Judas because of his greed... He wasted everything. He wasted his life. He wasted the opportunity to give to Jesus. And he wasted his eternal soul because after he sold Jesus for 30 lousy pieces of silver, he went out and hung himself. And his soul was eternally lost in hell. His whole life was a waste. You know, there are some people today who feel just the same way that Judas felt, however, about honoring God with an offering. And had they been there that night at Bethany... They would have chimed in their criticism. And I'm saying that to tell you that they may not have said it with their lips, but they will say it with their checkbook. The lack of giving, that is. And, and I, I'm saying so that you and I would understand. Judas said that this money could have been used for the poor, but he really wanted it for himself. Can I get a, uh, help me, Jesus. Look, look, at, look at what the Bible says about Judas. Judas, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what is in the money box. I know he's a thief and we know it because in Matthew's account and Mark's account, right after this scene, Judas leaves the place there and he goes to find the chief priest and the high priest and the haters of Jesus and he negotiates how to sell Jesus. And what I'm saying to you today, brothers and sisters, and, and please, please hear me when I tell you that some people today have a problem giving a sacrificial gift because they don't want to let go of their money. Like Judas, some people use excuses not to give to the Lord because, unfortunately, they want to keep more money in their pocket. Here's the real tragedy. The real tragedy is, is that on that day that Jesus was honored by Mary, when Mary showed up, broke the expensive ointment on Jesus and blessed him and wiped his feet with her hair, Mary was trying to draw all the attention on Jesus. This is about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When Judas opened his mouth, he took the attention from Jesus and put it on the poor, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was greedy. It's perplexing to some people why we tithe, why we give, why we come to church on Sunday, why we honor the Lord. It's perplexing to some people because these people don't love Jesus, they love their money. I say this carefully, and I don't say it for an endorsement or an amen. Just listen to me. It's sad today that there are people in the church that are just as lost as Judas was that day. Judas was never in love with Jesus, church. He was only in love with Judas and his money. He was a thief. He would steal repeatedly. Now, now listen to this. It's amazing to me. That when a city or a county builds a sports complex for 50 million bucks, 
how they will invite the mayor, cut the ribbon, bring a band in to play music, and they'll call it, call it a great work, a great work that we have done in the city. But when a church tries to raise $1 million, $5 million, $8 million, or $10 million to reach souls for Jesus, to build a place where people who are bound can be set free, marriages can be mended, counseling can be offered, people on addiction and other kinds of problems trying to get out of it can have a refuge, a place where we're trying to save our youth and build a kingdom. Some people don't call it a great work, they call it a great waste. We had two hearings in December regarding the rezoning of the church property for expansion in December. We went before the boards of appeal, the board of appeals for the county, and we went before the board of commissioners so we can have our expansion. And I tell you this with integrity because there are eyewitnesses who are present then who are present now in this service. Some of our neighbors showed up and they had some concerns. Some were legitimate, some were kind, but then there were others like the one lady it was in the paper, so I'm not just trying to exploit this. It was in the paper. And somehow, you know, the newspaper liked to take the bad stuff and put it out there under the church's name. One woman got up, walked down the aisle, looked me in the face because she already knew I was the pastor. I'd already spoken. She looked me in the face, what seemed like fire in her eyes, but it was certainly in her voice. And she said about our request for building the house of God. She said, this is stupid. She said, this is garbage. And she accused us of doing other things that while we are a detriment to the community and why it's a waste of time for us to have this church. And I've long since gotten past that, brothers. I can't be in order and keep that in my agenda. I'm praying that God bless her. I'm praying that we bless her. Okay? But therein is the paradox, isn't it? Again, I'm just teaching you. You all okay in radio land? Yeah. All okay? Yeah. You didn't bring no tomatoes with you, did you? <laughs> hey, many Christians will die hoarding money when they should have been pouring it out at the feet of Jesus and blessing his work. Many Christians will die with large estates and financial blessings and blessings of other kind. Money tied up in certificate of deposits, in a deposit box, in a stock portfolio, hidden someplace. Hoarding it up, thinking, if I give God this, how am I going to pay? How am I going to get back when we fail to understand that everything we got, He's given us? But many Christians will die hoarding God's money and not pouring it out. And if they don't have a will, a last will and testament... The government will take their assets and sponsor some Christ blaspheming project. Or they will either leave the money they hoarded up to family members who don't like God, don't like church, can't stand the ministry. And their family members will squander what should have been poured out and will outlive them. You see, here's the bottom line question. And I'm again not trying to be mean. The bottom line question is 50 years from now, most all of us in this room will be gone. We will die if Jesus tarries 50 years from now. And the question to ask is this. Will it make any difference that I was here? After all of us have died and the world is still in existence, Jesus hadn't come yet because He's grace. I wonder when people look at our lives and when we look at our lives from whatever perspective we're in, will it have mattered that we had lived? I say to you this morning, one more thought please. A God-honoring offering is pleasing to Christ. 
Judas said, what a waste. Some of the other people chimed in. The other people chimed in. And the Bible says they scolded her. They criticized her. Why do you take this expensive perfume and pour it out on Jesus when somebody else could have, we could have sold it and done something else with it? And Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Did he not say that? Uh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> Jesus was pretty nice with his words. I thought a few other things I'd like to say to them. But thank God he's Jesus and I'm not. Thank God he's God and I'm not. Thank God he's God and you're not. Because a few of us would be dead if we were God. Uh, leave her alone. Why are you hassling this woman? Why, why, why are you after her? What she's done, she's done for me. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus said she did it for me. Every time you give your tithe and your offering, you're doing it for Jesus. You may be, I know you're doing it through the local church and the expression of the local church. And it's our, uh, it's our prayer and desire with our elders, our finance committee, and our leadership that we, uh, we, we use these funds wisely. My business is not to worry about what my bishop is doing with my offering or what somebody else. While we must be frugal, my business is to obey God. And if I'm doing the wrong thing, God will check me and correct me and rebuke me and beat me up and bring the right source of correction to me. My business is to obey God. And so is your rest. And, and I hurriedly say this. The Bible says of what, what, what Jesus' commendation of this woman. She has done what she could. Yeah. She has anointed my body for the day of my burial. Seven days later, he will be dead. She has done what she could. And what I'm saying to you this morning and asking of you on our commitment Sunday and every time you come to church is do what is right do what you can please hear me you remember after Jesus was buried women came to the tomb to anoint his body three days later do you remember that it says not in the Bible but they didn't anoint his body because they couldn't find him he was gone they missed their opportunity but Mary didn't miss her opportunity she anointed Jesus before his burial I don't know. You're probably thinking, well, why did I choose this Sunday? And I don't, I don't think you are, but if you are, I'll tell you why. You didn't choose it. God did. Why did I join South Metro Ministry or start coming here this time when they're having a building program? It's because God will do with you and me what he did with Esther in the Old Testament. He will bring us to the kingdom, to the ministry, to the fellowship for such a time as this. I think we should thank him. I close this morning's sermon message with these thoughts very quickly. Long before you and I ever thought of giving to God, He gave to us. Please hear me. 2,000 years ago, God gave His most precious gift. When God gave His Son, was it not precious? Which one of us would give our son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter to die for people we don't even know? Nobody here. The Bible says scarcely for a righteous man would anybody die, much less a sinner. If God's calling on people to die for somebody else, I'm fixing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. No, here am I, Lord, send him. 
God gave us His only begotten, only begotten, sinless Son. It was precious. He gave us His most precious gift. Long before we ever thought about giving. Back it up for me. Back it up. Sorry. His gift was pleasant. There ain't one of us here that cannot say, if we've been born again, how pleasant, good, wonderful it is to be a child of Jesus. We are eternally saved. It's, it's pleasant what God gave to us. And then we tell somebody else of His saving grace and it's pleasant to them. And then not only was His gift precious to Him and pleasant to others. People, why would Jesus die for us? What does He get out of it? His love compelled Him. Perplexing that you would come to church. Perplexing that you would serve God. People think you're wasting your time today. But they haven't yet tasted and seen how good God is. And lastly pleasing to Christ because it was pleasing to God to give his son because Isaiah said it pleased the Lord to bruise his son because he wouldn't be bruised long he'd be resurrected wow oh Jesus stand please would you hallelujah with both of your hands would you reach up to the Lord and if you're grateful for his gift would you honor open your own mouth and Adoration, Come on and do it with, with me. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, everybody in the house. Look up to heaven. Raise your voices. I know you've been sitting a while, so you might have... Uh, you just need to get re-energized. Let the Holy Ghost do it. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. God, I've heard your word. I don't want to give you my a tip. I don't want you to give you leftovers. I don't want to always seek your hand when I need to seek your feet. Come on, come on. Oh, I work, God, I need to do some changing here today. I need to rethink my priorities, God. I've been chasing after things, oh God. We've been chasing after things that are going to rust. They're going to corrupt. They're going to erode. They're going to die. And oh God, I ask you to forgive us for chasing after things. And we need you more. I praise you, Jesus. I bless you, Lord Jesus. Now you may put your hands on a moment. I'm going to be totally plain with you. Here's what the Holy Ghost says to close. I want today, after hearing all this, I want to get back to the feet of Jesus. I want to get back there. I get so worried, so fretful, so murmuring, so criticizing when I get away from the feet of Jesus. I almost get like Judas. I get greedy. And, and, and while I'm being transparent, you can go ahead and nod your head because I'm fixed to call your name because we're all in the same boat. And I'm not being a kind of just trying to be a little lighter there. Listen to me. You may say, oh, that pastor just about money, money, money. No, I am about where our heart should be. I am about saying thank you for saving me, for protecting me, for giving me oxygen that I didn't make, for giving me sight that I didn't create, for giving me legs to walk that I didn't create, for giving me touch and feel and senses. Thank you for protecting me in the highway, in the house, on the job. Thank you that I may not have the largest paycheck in America, but I got some groceries. Somebody say amen. I got a car. It may not be brand new. I got wife and children. I, I must honor I wonder if, if others of you and I, others of you would do what I need to do. I did it in the first service. I need to do it every day. Pastor Matura, I'm saved. Oh, I'm not saved. But whatever I do, my, my, my status is, I want to get to the feet of Jesus. 
I'm talking to elders. I'm talking to staff. I'm talking to retired ministers. I'm talking to Sunday school teachers. I'm talking to seasoned Christians. I'm talking to newborn people. You say, Pastor, I've been chasing after stuff. I've chosen the good and missed the best. And I want to come today to get to the feet of Jesus. Come, come in Jesus' name. Sing, my brothers and sisters. Come from everywhere.